work as a W-2 employee in an industry, but look at your job there as paid training for the company you're going to start in the fucking future. You know that they make a thing on the end of each show about your, about your tip, okay? I tipped 23 grand, all right? And I made a thing about Chicago. The GOAT, Michael Jordan, war number 23. Here's 23 grand. Make this big whole fucking speech. They cut that out of the show. (laughs) So from Paris to San Sebastian, I got a fucking private fucking jet. Okay, it was 30 grand. Okay, mind you. I get onto this fucking thing. I, I get claustrophobic. So my kids are flying on this jet, and I'm sitting sitting at the airport. I, I get off the damn plane, send them without me, wow. and I fly fucking coach. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of The Experience Podcast. Today, we have a very unique episode with Mr. John Sarasani. We actually flew out to do this podcast at his house in Chicago. So this is something we've never done before. It's absolutely incredible, this episode. And John is as good as they come. This guy started an insurance company in his home from his kitchen counter, and he grew it to an eight-figure business and exited to an institution. And when I say eight figures, for anybody that doesn't know, that's between $10 million to $99 million. So obviously he knows what he's talking about. Um, he was also a Division One football player, and he got injured and then transitioned to the world of business. So I think it's going to be super interesting for you guys to hear from somebody who comes from the athletic space and then transitions into business. He's a massive human being. This guy's 6'4", 288 pounds, so... It's massive. We look like little kids next to him. And lastly, this guy is absolutely blowing up on social media. I mean, he's got hundreds of thousands of followers across all platforms. So you won't want to miss this episode. It's absolutely incredible. Stay tuned. What's up, everybody? We're here with John Sarasani. What up? Thank you for having us. Welcome to my residence. You guys kind of, you know, I said you could come in for a half hour. You kind of took over my whole fucking man cave here. But <laughs> Yeah, we're living here now. I mean, it's kind of fucked over. up. It's kind of <laughs> fucked up. There's a whole live audience here, too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, these, are, these are the 2,000% raised members, bro. Yeah, That's yeah, how we yeah. roll. Deep. Welcome. Deep. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Maybe yeah, we'll man. start there then, I guess. Yeah. Your membership, man. So I've been putting a lot out on social media the last, uh, I really took it seriously, I think, the last year. And then last September, a little less than a year ago, I started doing my podcast. And really the podcast was just to promote my book here, 2,000% Raise. Um, Ultimately, what ended up happening was the social media and just the ideology, I think, behind 2,000% Raise kind of became bigger than any real component of it, you know. Um, to give you a, for instance, by the time my book actually came out, I started doing all this like, you know, last August. And by the time my book actually came out, I, I barely promoted it because everything else had kind of taken a life of its own on. Um, now don't get me wrong. People that have bought the book and people that have read it, it's nothing been, been nothing but great, uh, reviews, but for something that started really just to promote my book, it's become so much bigger than that. And, uh, this membership's a piece of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's the goal with it? What What are the next steps? Well, I think that there's a um, a white space currently with um, growth minded individuals in the entrepreneurial space, and even people that are business professionals that say have good sales jobs in a business to business environment, or or they're just successful, making in the six figures, but they feel like there's something more. How do you network with other people? You know, um, we all have trade shows, we all have association groups that we're parts of in our industry, but what is there really out there at all for, for, for people to do what I'm trying to do with 2000% raise. And, and that's what it's all about. Um, 2000% raise what the definition of it and where it came from was from me identifying that my job in corporate America was never going to be that fulfilling, no matter what they paid me. It was always going to be out of whack with the productivity I brought in. That's if I felt like I was able to bring in revenue on my own without that umbrella of the company that that I'm working for. And once you have that epiphany that you're able to do that, instead of getting that 3%, 4%, 5% cost of living adjustment increase, instead of fighting for a better job title with management, instead of trying to pretend like, oh, shit, one day I'll be like, Scott, that's my boss's boss. Holy shit, I'll have that office and an assistant. Dude, fuck that shit. Just leave 
do this shit on your own. Instead of 3% raise, give yourself a 2,000% raise. Right. And what was like that epiphany? Because mm. you talk about, you know, people like I think I believe you said like you got like it was like bricks falling down or something like that. Yeah. What, what was it like? Did it just one day you snapped out of it and you're like, you know what? Fuck this. Or was it, did it take time? Brother, I just, uh, I just made a reel about this. I haven't posted it yet. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. It's things like this. Hey, hey guys, hey guys, who are you guys meeting with? Oh, we got the so-and-so from XYZ client coming in. Oh shit, they're gonna, you guys are going to be in the big conference room and everything? Could, could I sit in? No, man, you got, you got you to have gray hairs to be in this meeting, man. They, we need people with gray hairs, the 40-somethings are telling me. Right. And I, okay, well, I found a way to get into that meeting anyway. And the shit that was coming out of people's mouths was just as intelligent as I'm able to be. I, actually, I'm smarter than them and I was 26. Right. So I'm looking at this like, wait a minute. They're trying to hold me back from being in meetings like this because of my age, because they paid their dues. There's no advancement. Between 26 and 41 in that job like that, you're not learning more. You're not getting any fucking better. You either got it or you're not. Don't get me wrong. Experience helps. But at some point, you got enough experience to go out on your own. So it was little epiphanies, like little things like that that led me to the epiphany that, shit, working in corporate America is actually holding me back. It's not lifting me up right and that took because i know like for example a lot of times like i know my girlfriend in particular she wants to start her own business but you know it's like that decision so like how long did it really take you like a year was it like like that process that you're like fuck it i believe it was when you asked for a raise well right so well so two things so my other book 2000 uh that i wrote back in 2011 paid training is is about if your girlfriend and, and just younger people in general are looking, I want to get into a business. I want to be a business owner, but where, where do I start? I always say work as a W-2 employee in an industry, but look at your job there as paid training for the company you're going to start in the fucking future. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's me retrospectively looking at this. Now, to your question right now, uh, you know what really pushed me out the door? For some reason, I got in my head. I don't know why. It was 2005. I just felt like if I made 180 grand, I would the world's problems would be solved for me. And I, I don't. I think I. I think I did my budget. I had a. I had a 40 year interest only mortgage on a 800 thousand dollar house. Fucking bunch of shit. No documentation loan for people that don't know. Go watch the movie The Big Short. I was like one of the people in The Big Short that shouldn't have been buying houses that expensive, but. I kept making money, so I, was, I never went bankrupt or foreclosed. Um, but I think I did the math, and I just came up with 180 as the number I needed. And uh, they told me no, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because if they would have told me yes, it would have been a Band-Aid. Six months to 12 months later, I would have been thinking the exact same shit I was already thinking. Um, I probably, just knowing me, I probably wouldn't have left because I would have been thankful. So even though I figured it out six months later, I probably would have stuck around at least for another year or two after that before I just dug so deep in me that I had to go. Um, or worse, I start making more money. Now I'm making 250. There's people that uh, at that time there wasn't really, but in that industry working for people, you could make 300, 400 grand. Right. You know what I mean? If I was at a different employer, I could have been making 300, 400 grand. I happened to work at Arthur J. Gallagher and they thought that producers there should just get high base salaries and bonuses because they thought we were making sales because of their name on the business card. Well, there's other mid-level brokerage firms that would not work that way that you would get more commission based. And if I was in a model like that producing just as much, I mean, I would, I would have been making 300, 400 grand, been hard to walk away making 300, 400 grand. You know what I mean? You know, I don't know if I would have done it or not. But how do you put yourself in a position to be able to leave that job? Like yeah. do you have savings? Because a lot of people, they don't have that much savings. So yeah. if they quit their job, they're kind of fucked. They have expenses. They have a family. Yeah. What do they do? It's tough, man. It's tough. What I, what I, well, here's what I did. I, I kind of just, I knew probably about four months before I left that I was leaving. Um, so all my prospecting efforts and everything else, I just kind of stopped. You know what I mean? I was no longer out there promoting myself as an employee of Arthur J. Gallagher. I was still taking care of my clients. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't probably the best employee, but I was just as good as, just as good. working half-assed was just as good as most of the people there, in my opinion. But I, I um, you know, 
you're building a snowball when you're out there prospecting, okay? And, and, and I'm selling employee benefit plans. You're building a snowball. And eventually, you know, they come, all right? And, and I'm dangling, hey, I'm available. Hey, I'm available. Okay, you're not, gonna, it's not, a, you're not selling a car. You're not going to get it that day, right? Yeah. So I stopped planting those seeds and then started them again once I was on my own, knowing that it was going to be a few months before I saw any revenue coming in. Um, and uh, I did just exactly what you just said. I, I had about... I had about five months of savings saved up, saved up, and I started seeing revenue coming in around month three, month wow. three. And then I also worked side jobs too back then. I was pretty young. I had a side hustle um, promoting nightclubs, so I was able to like make some like you know cash on the side doing that. But it wasn't like a lot at that point. What do you think you would have done if you had like a family, kids and stuff? And you had well, I did. Kids? I did, man. I had a family. So I was married um, and my daughter uh, was was a baby. Um, you know, it's funny, man. I always kind of wonder, would I have done this if I didn't get divorced? We got divorced. And then I think like as a young person that wants a family and, you know, I think I would have been fine if I had stayed married, staying in Arthur J. Gallagher because... Oh, we're getting invited to the gala or, hey, we're going to go to this charity event with the other guys at the office. And they're all 10 years and 20 years older than me. And, you know, they have this great family and wife and they want us to hang out with them. And I look up to them. And, you know, I, I think I probably uh, I wonder sometimes if I would have never figured it out because I would have been happy enough in my marriage. Um, unfortunately, we ended up getting divorced and it was pretty fucking mutual. <laughs> the divorce took about three months. Like, hey, fuck you. No, fuck you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> laugh, guys. Laugh. No, um, no we actually co-parent very well. She's a, she's a great mom, and uh, our daughter's 20 now, so so to give you a perspective. But uh, I think we were both pretty young, man. We were, I was 26. She was 22. I think we both kind of realized this was a bad move for us. Um, but we gave it a shot for a couple of years. Didn't work out. And now all of a sudden, okay, what's my energy going to be towards? Okay, like, like me qualifying for the company trip and being able to bring her to the Peninsula Hotel in downtown Chicago, you know, with, with the other top producers around the country once a year. Like, all of a sudden, that shit wasn't good enough for me because I didn't have, like, someone I was experiencing this with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, who? so it makes you just kind of, like, analyze, well, why the fuck do I even care about any of that shit, whether I have a wife or not? You know what I mean? Um so I think, I, I think ultimately the divorce, it didn't push me to starting my own company, but who knows? I, I might've, I might've been complacent where I was had I stayed married. I think, I don't know. I don't know. Crazy how that stuff happens. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's, you don't know. Yeah. And mm -hmm. do you think like, what was your game plan if it didn't work out? Did you ever think about that? That's the beauty. And this is good for going back to your girlfriend too. And that's the whole concept of paid training. You, 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 you work in a freaking industry, man, that you know this industry, okay? For me, insurance, <laughs> I go out, I leave Gallagher, go out on my own and fail six months later. I could have got, got a job back in that industry <laughs> and probably given myself a raise from where I was at with Gallagher, Yeah. okay? Um, that wasn't the plan, though. That wasn't the plan. But I think when you have paid training, you could do shit like that a lot more, a lot more easier and have that safe, safety net. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then, like, can you go into detail about starting your business and stuff? I, I know you mentioned you started it on the kitchen table and stuff, just mm -hmm. you. But, like, I haven't heard you speak about how you built the team, the systems and processes behind the business, like how you prepared it to exit. Yep. So maybe can you, can you bring us through that, like kind of a roadmap of what you did there? So the biggest, um, yeah, so the biggest piece of starting out was the fact that I knew how to do everything involved in servicing the account, okay? I was kind of... I was kind of blessed where there was a transition in account management teams when I was a producer at Gallagher. So it really forced me, I think, in that transition of a teams, the ball was being dropped with some service-related things on the account that I brought in. And what I learned was I was able to go pick up that ball and service these accounts. And what I learned was 95% of, of the difficulty is getting the client in the first place. The other 5% is servicing them. Okay, now don't get me wrong, that's an important 5%. They'll, they'll leave your ass. But for me, from a difficulty perspective, it's way harder to get the client in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit here 
and let other people manage my accounts that are dropping the ball or just aren't returning emails or I'll never forget. I'll get CC'd on an email from a client like a Thursday afternoon. And then, um, the, my account manager replies back Monday. She was in the office all day Friday. <laughs> she replies back Monday that she's looking into this. <laughs> it took, took, took you, uh, in my book, four and a half days, but even one and a half business days to tell a client that you're looking into it. Mm-hmm. What, the, what the hell's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Um, so it forced me to really like learn all the different aspects and servicing these accounts. And the more I peeled back the onion, the more I, I realized everything I could do. And um, it all started. So, so you, you, using all of that, when I started my damn company, I didn't need to hire an account executive. I didn't need to hire an account manager. And, and actually, when I freaking did, it was only because I had enough money coming in where I felt like I should. It was a mistake because I wouldn't let them do anything. A woman making like 60 grand a year and let her do anything. I go, well, actually, let me just take care of this. She's like, okay, do you want me to do anything, sir? And she didn't call me sir. But, but you know what I mean? Um, eventually, though, eventually I did have to scale. Um, and that was when my revenue, I mean, my EBITDA, we were well into the seven figures at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then once I scaled, it was not even scaling in a way that um, – that most would think a lot of times people think scale is to hire salespeople to, you know, to hire more marketing efforts, whatever, to, to bring in more business. For me, it was just duplicating myself. And the only way I could duplicate myself was by taking things off my plate that were duplicatable. All right. So the account management shit, that 5% of that stuff, which at that point started take that thing that's 5% difficulty, which ends up taking now 70% of my time, mm-hmm. Because we have so many clients now, all right, how much of that could I delegate? I can't delegate all of it, but I could definitely start, you know, start uh, opening up chunks for me to bring in account managers and then me to turn around and sell more. Um, And then that's when it really started to go, like really started to go. And so you serviced, right, you say college, university insurance, correct? Yeah, uh, employee benefits of of the colleges and universities. And is that what you were also doing at your previous companies? Yes, kind of. Okay, perfect. And the reason why I asked is because you mentioned that, you know, the profit was 80%. Like you yeah. you guys were 80%, whereas the industry average was 30%. Yep. Did you, like, did you know that starting your business or was it just like a learning curve? Like, holy shit, you know, like this can actually make us more money with more profit. Yeah. So what happened was at, at, at Gallagher, I was on their higher education and benefits team. And, and what I figured out when I was working there was there was no real... There was no like innate fundamental like value proposition of it. It was just saying, hey, we work on colleges. And um, they would focus on the bigger universities. So University of Illinois, Indiana University, these big guys. But there's all these other smaller colleges like Milliken University, Elmhurst College, uh, Lake Forest College, little schools like that that we could focus on that would be good accounts and actually give them a value proposition that's specific to higher education. So that's what I did. And I actually presented it to the people at Gallagher as, Hey, let's focus on this. Like, nah, nah, we don't want to go. We don't want to go to these smaller accounts. Like, okay. They got 500 employees. That's like an $80,000 a year account. And they're like, yeah, but we want to get these huge colleges. Well, that huge college with 20,000 people is 140 grand account. So you don't want the 500 one one with 80 grand. Cause it's kind of, this kind of is a scale work different when, when you're in this space. Um, so I just decided, like, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself because I saw something that, 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 that they, didn't, they didn't see. Um, and then once I did that and developed this niche just on benefits on my own for colleges, they started lining up down the street. They really did. And, and that's why my profit margin was so much better than everybody else's because every other benefit brokerage firm has to grow by, like, bringing in salespeople. And if I'm going to bring in a salesperson, I got to pay them commission. So let's say that commission is 40%. I'm going to pay you 40% of the revenue you bring in. Well, the innate problem is if that person's fucking good, they're going to do what I did and quit and do this shit on their own. So what I got to do as the employer then is pay you 40% and also put all these resources around you to make you think these are important. You know what I mean? That 5%, I'm going to make it seem like that's like 90%. Okay, make it this. Oh, you have a senior account executive. Look at this person's title. Look at this technology platform we have. All this shit, right? Um, And uh, I didn't have to do any of that shit. All that stuff does. The 30% building these teams and everything cuts into that margin so 
so drastically where I was able to just bring in freaking clients because I was able to bring in clients with my niche. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's what, that's why. And, and it's more like, it's actually lower than what you said. It's 17 to 26%, I believe is the profit margin average. Um, and I was at like, like 80. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And did you end up ever building a sales team or it was really just you with, with people around you helping I, you? Brother, I tried a couple of times. So I just told you how I scaled with the account management people. Mm-hmm. I tried a couple of times bringing in salespeople and that's the biggest damn problem, bro. The problem is like, okay, if you win and you get someone that's good, okay, why, why are they going to stick around? They're going to do what I just did to Gallagher and go out on their freaking own, all right? And you get somebody that sucks, well, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your breath. So you got to find like this like moderately good person, you know what I mean, that, that doesn't have the entrepreneur, you know, and, and, and I tried a couple times, I had a couple people came in and it just didn't work out and I'm like, you know what, I'm done with salespeople because every second that I was spending with them was a second I was being taken away from me, you know, being what got me here. Um, so that's when I shifted it to just all account management. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Now, if you talk to these private equity people and business people and MBA people, they don't understand what I just said. They, they, they're like, well, well, you know, well, you would never scale down here to come to the fucking blah, blah, blah. Listen, dude, <laughs> come to my fucking house. Look at my fucking pool. All right. That's what I'll fucking tell them. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not fucking kidding. Well, when you exited, you were literally just you. You were the only salesperson in the salesperson, organization. Salesperson, yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, what confuses me about that is because when I think about exiting a company or when I've heard anybody else speak about it, they're always saying, like, you got to remove yourself from the business. But what you're saying is you were literally the only salesperson in the business. So I was, you I, yeah, so I was blessed. with. Um, so it's business to business sales and every client was worth a good chunk of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I, listen, everybody has to do that to scale and they're absolutely correct. Usually I'm, I'm different though, because I had a service platform. We were the university guys. Nobody else was really doing it. Gallagher and some other people were saying they were doing it. They weren't doing it and they weren't going down to the size of clients that I was doing it for. Okay. So if someone's listening on, on the outside, they might be, well, cause those are little shit clients. No, they're not little shit clients because Gallagher is working with them. If they're at manufacturing firms that only have 500 employees, but for some reason, if a college has only 500 employees, it's too small for them. It doesn't make any fucking sense. So I was able to figure this out at 26 fucking years old. They're missing it, man. They're missing it. So me to go out there with this value proposition, I'm at every fucking trade show, every CFO, every HR director at every college in this space, um, you know, really either knew who we were or, or knew of us. I'd go to the president's meetings. The president meetings have nothing to do with insurance. The CFO does everything. But I would go to the president meetings and, and I'd introduce myself to presidents at different universities. Then they'd go back to their campus after, after the meetings and they'd tell their CFO, hey, I met this guy, John Sarasani, at this conference. And then the CFO would say, oh, that's, yeah, John Sarasani, he's that fucking college insurance guy. You know what I mean? I like mm-hmm. got out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So people were doing shit that I wasn't doing. So I guess you could call it, I mean, when I put it that way, I guess you could call it creative marketing. But a plan and shit, dude, you got to like actually execute this shit and be you know, talented enough to do it. Yeah. And nobody like gave you a blueprint at all. It was just trial and error or you sitting down, <sighs> coming up with ideas and executing. No. Yeah, pretty much. No one ever gave me a blueprint. I never had a mentor or anything like that. That's it's, insane. Yeah. It sounds kind of fucked up. Yeah. yeah Cause you have like a very like entrepreneur mindset in a way. Yeah. Was it like growing up? Were you like entrepreneurship at all or just stumbled upon uh, insurance? You knew the business inside out, saw a problem. Yeah. Kind of just fix that problem. Dude, I already always had like side hustles my whole life, man. Like even like junior high and high school, I'd be doing like poker tournaments at my house, um, which seems like cliche. (laughs) It seems like cliche now because now on ESPN, World Series of Poker is on there. Everyone knows how to fucking play. But back then, we'd play seven card stud or Texas Hold'em. No one knew how to play. So I'd have these things in my basement. People would be like, this is fucking cool. Well, now everyone's a fucking expert playing online and shit. Um, yeah, so I do shit like that. I would do uh, in college. I started this company with uh, event promotions and nightclubs and stuff with all the college kids going. I've I've always had that in me. I didn't really think I would get into the business world. In fact, I graduated from Northwestern. They didn't have an undergrad business degree. Um, I was going to be a secondary education major, which is a high school teacher. Um, so my dad was that. My brother's that. Um, my uh, aunts and uncles. I have a, a lot of people in my family that are teachers, and uh, ultimately just decided. 
not to. I just decided, you know what, I'm going to not go into that space, do something different. Um, had plans to play in the NFL, quite frankly, and uh, that fell apart at the end because of an injury. And it put me in a position where I didn't have a fucking job. I got to fucking find a place to work. And ended up in insurance sales at a place called Great West Life and Annuity. And awesome, awesome. And, and I, guess, I guess I'll tell you what, man. There's a guy named Don Mano that hired me for that job and convinced me that 30 grand plus commission is better than 45 grand. Because Anderson Consulting, which is called Accenture now, was offering me 45 grand. Great West was offering me 30 grand plus commission. And there was a sales manager, there was a hiring manager at Great West is the one who convinced me that the 30 plus commission's a better job. And it seems kind of like anyone listening to this is saying, well, duh. But like, if you're not from this space, dude, and you're 22 years old getting your first freaking job out of college, you don't know this shit. Yeah. So I'm like, what do you mean 30 grand's? What do you mean 30 grand's more than 45 grand? I, I don't get it. And, you know, sure enough, I made my first 12 months, I made 66 grand. Um, first calendar, 12 months, I made like 90. Um, and then I kind of went up from there until, uh, you know, until it didn't. Yeah. You know. And how did you prep the company to go back to the sale? Like, how did you prep the company to be sold? So I didn't. So that's, that's, if I could do anything again, um, that would be the one thing that I would redo. Um, I did not have the, the company in a position to be sold. I had, uh, I had a private equity firm reach out to me because I was on the cover of this magazine. It was called Benefit Selling Magazine. It's an industry publication. I was on the cover of it. They were doing a feature on, on me. And um, it put me on the radar screen of bigger competitors, okay? Because I was kind of an under-the-radar screen kind of guy. It's like, okay, let everyone, let everybody up there think they're killing it and I'll just keep picking off people. I didn't want anyone to know what I was doing down here. Um, and that put me on their radar screen. I got a call from a, a company called Risk Strategies, which is a, a private equity-backed organization, and um, they're a competitor. And uh, they were hiring, they're they're buying up companies like ours. And I didn't even take the damn phone call at first, man. Well, I didn't take the meeting because I'm like, bro, you guys will never pay me enough because I thought they were going to pay me like some kind of multiple of my gross revenue, not knowing my 80% profit margin. It was never going to make sense for me. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, they made an offer, and it was a multiple of my EBITDA, which is the profit, and uh, it was a high multiple. So I took it. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of look back because it happened fast, bro. Line up, line, here you are chugging away, no intentions to sell your company. You get a call, you go to a dinner, they give you a letter of intent. It has a number on it that's like, holy shit, what, are these guys idiots? Why would they pay me this much? <laughs> and I didn't realize what I had. But um, I, I probably wouldn't have sold it for any less. So they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, and that actually worked out, worked out great. Um, in retrospect, what I should have done hired an investment banker or some kind of business broker to negotiate me deals and get more offers on the table. I just got into bed with risk strategies because they're the ones who cold called me, but I should have shopped it around. Um, I probably, when you talk about salespeople, I never brought any in. When you start looking at it from a sales perspective though, if I pay this guy 70, 70 grand and he brings in 75 grand and I'm selling the company for a 10 times multiple, you know, it's not just five grand a year now. That's an extra 50 grand in my pocket. So if I could hire now six people at 70 grand and each of those guys bring in 75 grand, not worth it for me from a year over year perspective, that five grand is a pain in my ass. But if I'm getting ready to sell the company, I don't know, maybe that, what would that come out to be an extra 300 grand? Maybe it makes sense to do shit like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. But these are conversations that I never had because I wasn't planning on selling the damn company. Mm -hmm, right. So I never even like considered it. So, so as I'm older now, looking back, should I have done things like that? You know what I mean? I got nothing to complain about, man. I, I'm in a position that, that I wouldn't imagine to be in, but it is, uh, it is interesting as I look back because here's the other damn thing. I might have ended up in another company. I might have sold to someone else. Right. Well, the, my deal with this company I sold to was so great because I took, ha I took a, a big chunk of the deal in stock. And then that stock went up exponentially. So that's what kind of put me on a different level too. And obviously, you know, you had to work for the company for a few years. How was that? Selling and then working for a few years, you know, because now you're kind of back to what you want to quit. Well, I said the name of the company now, so now I'm going to say only nice things. <laughs> no, there's, there's good and bad to that employment contract. Um, 
I did say the name of the company, though. So I, they, listen, that company made me rich. We could block it out. No, yeah, we could. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Well, let's <laughs> just it. It's fine. Um, I don't want, like, saying anything negative about them anyways because they, they made me rich. And... Uh, but not towards like the company, more towards like being back in the position of working now again yeah. for the company. It's not you know nothing against the company or anything like that, but more so, like being back right. in that position. So here's what I'll say, man. You, you get you get um, as a business owner when you sell your company. In the environment I was in, it's like rah rah. Listen, we're all one team. We're huge. Let's do this shit. You know, I'm volunteering to be on committees. I'm flying to other states to help other offices with no upside for me. Hey, here's how you sell this kind of health plan. Hey, I'll go to this prospecting meeting with you, you know, helping out people. And um, what happens is when a company gets as big as they did, and this is why the stock went up tremendously. So it's it's the I probably wouldn't change anything, but you know, why was that stock going up tremendously? Because we were growing exponentially as well. So more egos enter the conversation. Now all of a sudden, you know, your relationship with the people in the headquarters and the practice leaders. They may or may not know every detail down here or have the time to think about it. They only hear this whisper or that whisper, and it starts to go sideways a little bit. Um, so I would say I went in there cloud nine, volunteering, being a part of everything, being that guy that was probably on the fast track to be executive level beyond and stay there beyond, well beyond my employment contract. Uh, to being like, I, I can't wait for my contract to end. Let's get the fuck out of here. Um, you know, and just little things, man. It's like you're not walking around when when a company gets that big that fast. You're you're not walking around with a sign on your on your forehead saying, "By the way, I'm worth a few dozen million because I sold the company with 80 percent profit margin." You know what I mean? It, it, you're in a pool of people that some are headquarters employees that have been there, you know, that are that are doing the exact same job as you, and they're making 90 grand. And you might have another guy that sold his company. But he had 12 partners, and they had all this revenue, but they only had a 10% profit margin. That guy ain't rich. He needs, like, he needs to keep working. You know what I mean? So there's nothing like on your forehead saying, like, by the way, I'm better than you because I did this. And, 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 but like, and I would never think that it should, the sign should say that. But I guess what I'm saying is there's things that pop up that, people don't have an awareness of where maybe you fucking should have an awareness of it. All right. I had an operations guy come into our office and we all of a sudden had to report to him. He's like, what the fuck is this? And he's like busting my balls in meetings in front of like my own employees that worked for me that I brought there about why my Salesforce prospects aren't updated and, and shit like that. And it's like, okay, dude, this is, that's when it was like the beginning of the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to come in every day and like do this shit. And you know, and it's always just funny, too, because I brought a culture over to that organization that, you know why we fucking were good? Because we we're scrappy. Yeah, there was only a, a couple handfuls of us. But we joined this organization and we got merged into their Chicago office with 100 people. Guess what? Friday afternoon at 2 p.m., we're in fucking suits making prospecting calls, working our fucking asses off. Everyone else is a fucking ghost town. Throw a bowling alley down the fucking hallway. And now these are the same fucking people that are going to bust my fucking balls about Salesforce fucking prospecting. Shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> no fucking break. I'll go on my, I'll go on my boat. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. I understand. And now after you sold, your, like you sold, you stopped working, <clears throat> did you ever consider like, hey, let me start up a new insurance company or let me go maybe consulting or you're kind of like i'm done with this yeah so i get that question asked a lot man i so here's here's how i look at it you got you're only here on earth for for so long not to be like spiritual because I'm, I'm not really spiritual but this is how i looked at it i go listen how much of my life did i just dedicate to this boring ass industry <laughs> that, that no one likes to talk about you think it's exciting to talk about the affordable care act and obamacare to people like people don't want to talk about this at dinner conversations you know what i mean right. it's not exciting it was super lucrative for me the private equity piece buying me out is interesting to talk about colleges and universities calling on them is somewhat interesting but it's not like i'm selling like freaking diamonds or something people like really don't want to fucking care it's kind of boring so I made more money than, than I probably should have. Um, I mean, I was, I was fortunate and opportunistic with, with, with the timing. Um, and I just looked at it like, okay, I could sit two years out now and I could copy and paste this and start again. And, you know, let's say I wanted to get, I don't know, maybe another 
not even as big as before, but say I wanted to get another $10 million. Build it up to $1 million EBITDA. I probably could do that in about a year and a half. Turn around and sell it to private equity. Boom, there's my other $10 million. But now I'm going to have to work there for five years too. And now, okay, so two years after I sold, let's call it two years of building that, and then five more years. That's nine years now that I've either waited to be back in insurance or was back in insurance. And that would have put me now at, at 51 years old. Not that 51 is you know, that old, but it's like, okay, now I'm in my fifties. I've given so much of my damn life to this shit. So I want to do something different. Um, I decided instead of doing all that, I uh, decided to get into spaces that I haven't been in before. And I'm doing that as a venture capitalist. Um, a lot of fun, interesting founders, interesting projects I'm involved in. Um, and then combining that with what I'm doing with 2000% raise, because quite honestly, I didn't really realize until a couple of years ago that my story with 2000% raise and everything I've just talked about it is unique. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are out there raising money and trying to start the new technology and some people hit it or whatever, but it's very few people that actually quit their job when they're on their fast track shifted, did their own ex same thing from their kitchen and then sold the company to a company that's very similar to like the one that they had quit 10 years earlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of a cool, a cool story. So I think sharing that message, um, it's a lot more, it's a lot more fun. I'm not making the money I was making when I, uh, when I was building Northwest Comprehensive, but uh, and I, I might never make that kind of money again. But that's okay. And and why angel investing in particular? Like, uh... well, I'll tell you what, man, this angel investing shit. I got to tell you, man. We'll, we'll, uh, talk. To, ask me again in five years. I might not say I'm an angel investor. Right. <laughs> I might I might say I'm a uh, later stage investor because the angel investors get in when it's these are early early companies. And I said yes to a lot of shit early on, brother that I probably shouldn't have. And there's slide decks coming to me back and forth. I was getting all this attention. I, I just assumed everyone had the, the business acumen and wherewithal to make their companies work like I did. And you find out fast that uh, people could have good ideas, but they might not be able to execute what yeah. they're trying to do in a business. Yeah. And what, two what different things. Yeah, for sure. And what else have you learned? Like kind of, what are some of the lessons from the mistakes that you've had with businesses that you've invested in? Well, just uh, I, I, I've I've learned how how expensive shit is. You know, people try to penetrate certain markets, um, namely social media, and you, you got to spend so much freaking money. You're not gonna like have some alternative to Instagram or some shit and expect it to like work or even like coexist with the big social media platforms without dumping a ton of capital in there. Uh, same is true for alcohol. There, there's a lot of brands um, that come out for alcohol that, uh, dude, no way. So yeah, we only need 400 grand and we're gonna try to get it from eight angel investors to give 50 grand each. Okay, cool, and then what? Well, and then we're gonna get distribution and we're gonna all make millions. Okay, well, no, you're not. You need, who's gonna buy your fucking product? It's 400 grand to, to get you to the product. Now, how do you get people to fucking buy it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now you're talking tens of millions to actually penetrate a market. Well, listen, all we need is one and a half percent of share of the tequila marketplace. Oh, really? That's all you fucking need? <laughs> Let me know how you can do that. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. By someone posting on fucking Instagram. Someone fucking someone told me the other day that this rapper, Riff Raff, they have rap, pushing their uh, coffee. And he's fucking cool from what I've heard. I don't know who he is, but I guess he's pretty fucking cool. I go, do you really think Insta Riff Raff making Instagram posts is going to like penetrate the coffee market for you guys? Is that what you guys think? It's kind of... Anyway, but four years ago or three years ago when I first started off this, I'd be like, great idea. Here's 200 grand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, what are the, some of the things that you teach them, these people, or, or what's some of the criteria you give them to, to build a sustainable business long-term? Um, some of them lean on me for that shit, man. A lot of the, the people I invest in now already have, like uh, they, they either have it or they don't. You know, there's this guy, Yash, down in Florida that I just put money in. He's 25 years old. Talk to him for five minutes and you could see that he, that he has it. He, he, he asked me to be on his advisory board, but not because he needs like a mentor. He needs me for other things because the company he's building is called fan basis. And it's a marketplace for like athletes and celebrities to do like, it's, I don't need to get into it right now, but, but, but he wants me to be on his advisory board for introductions to certain people in my network. He's not really looking at me for, from a mentor standpoint, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, 
those are the people I like to invest in because I don't have to do a shit. I should just be an investor. Yeah. I shouldn't have to like do the company for them. You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and what are some of the criteria that his business had in general that made you want to invest in it? Um, they had penetration. A lot of these technology companies are uh, just burning so much capital each month that you're b basically throwing money into a burning ship. It's like, okay, they're raising $2 million, but they're spending seventy grand e e each month. It's like, okay, well, what if they don't, they're probably not going to raise the full two million. What if they're only able to raise a half a million dollars? All right. And they're spending 70 grand in seven months. That money is gone if they raise half a million. So then what do we do seven months from now? You're back to square one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so this particular company is not burning much. Um, they're only burning money each month that they choose to burn based on marketing efforts. They could turn the lever on and off as they wish, which is, it's good to have that control. It's yeah. good to have that control because yeah. a lot of companies don't. A lot of companies are, they're only going to survive if they keep dumping in money. Yeah. And I guess like these founders you're investing in, it's also, it's not only the business, it's them that you're investing in, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's together. It's together. The business has to, has to be decent. Um, in the little startup, in the startup world. Now, if it's somebody doing like a traditional business, it's all the person. You know what I mean? If this guy wants to start an accounting firm and he's looking for a partner that wants to throw some money in and own a percentage, okay. But if you have an idea that's disruptive in nature, it's not just the person. You got to really look at the idea and the person and, and do I buy into this? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I always say though, man, if you go back, like see the people, some of the people in the audience will, will, know, will, will know this. It's like, go back to the year 2002. When you were sitting there at the end of each month or writing your checkbook out and writing out your, your ComEd bill, your NICOR bill, your cable bill, and sending out 12 different checks, if you would have told me back then that three years from now, I'm going to be doing this all online and it's going to be automated doing it, I, I never in a million years would have believed you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so it's interesting when you look at these ideas, you know, sometimes you got to have the vision or, or understand why he has the vision that he has. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And now, obviously, you know, you're investing into some companies. Uh, what would you say are, like, the, the best ones, if you can say, at the moment that, you know, are really, that you're super proud of? Um, I would say, so the one that I'm really proud of is Newport Beach Marriott Hotel. Uh, we, we, I, got, I became part of an investment group that bought the Newport Beach Marriott. We just reopened it as, as the Via Hotel. It's in Orange County, Newport Beach. Uh, that's, that's fucking cool. That's awesome. It's a feather on the cap because it's, it's there. You know what I mean? It's like... Here it is. You like, I own part of that, yeah. you know, and uh, mo both my parents are passed away now, and they um, we went on vacation there a couple times when I was a kid. Nice. So it's kind of cool that I like own it now, you know what I mean? Um, other than that, there, there's uh, there's a lot that are just these early stage ones, man. It, it's it's literally shots in the dark, and, and you hope one of them go in, man. You hope one of them go in. I could tell you I'm in some really cool things right now with uh, some celebrity founders, um, Aaron Rodgers, um, and two different. Two different deals with him. Uh, Kevin Garnett, the basketball player. Um, the actress, Ashley Green, has a really cool um, um, women's healthcare product that's subscription-based. Uh, she's uh, She was in the Twilight movies. She's, she's really be, become close with her and her husband over the years. Um, you know, it, it's like one of these are going to hit. One yeah. of the, They're not all going to hit. We know they're not all going to hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? One. You, you feel bad for the founder, for the ones that it doesn't hit, because for that founder, that's all he has usually. Yeah. You know what I mean? That founder doesn't have 30 like I have. I only need four of them to hit out of my 30. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. two of them are going to go like this. The other two are going to go like this. You know what I mean? And it's going to make up for all that. Yeah. You know, that and founder, how, that's it. Exactly. And how are you getting in the same room as these big people like Aaron Rodgers, the other people you're mentioning? Um, the podcast has helped out a lot, but but uh, I, I actually owe a lot to. So Aaron Rodgers' business partner is a guy named Ryan Rotman. He was in a lot of movies and stuff when um, back in the day. Um, him and I hooked up in LA, um, and just really hit it off big time. Um, so me being friends with him kind of put me in different, different circles within Los Angeles. And what's interesting about Los Angeles is if you're not full of shit, <laughs> they, 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 they like love you. If you're going to actually like do something, okay, I might invest in your company. I actually do. They're like, holy shit, someone in LA that's not fucking full of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, so that helped me out a lot. And I think the circles have just collided rather quickly in Los Angeles, you know, I talk about like, 
all right, man, why, why did I even leave Chicago? I didn't leave Chicago. I'm still here. But like going to Los Angeles opened up this whole little floodgate of new opportunities that I just hadn't had here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's different levels of wealth out in California. You know, I'm, I'm friends with a guy. His family is the I won't say their last name, but let's put it this way. They, they own Kettle One. They own Kettle One. Like, like you're not bumping into that in, in, in Schaumburg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's a, not that it means everything, but I'm just saying, like, there's a lot. Of, that's one example of many that I could say right now. And, and once you get in these circles out in California, you start learning from these people. Holy shit, I never thought of that. Wow, your family's 12 generations in the business. How did you keep doing this? You know what I mean? So just I think by putting yourself in these circles and and being a um you know, being a legit person just it's been everything for me. Yeah. And yeah. now it's just growing organically or are you going out of your way to ask for referrals or, or meet new people or join masterminds or invest or take people out for dinner? Uh, well, I'm doing this thing that I'm doing right now with the 2000% raise is kind of like a mastermind, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm having people from my network kind of make appearances and be parts of it. You know what I mean? Like some Hollywood actor, NFL athlete is probably not going to be a member that's actively engaged, but Hey, we're having an event in Vegas in October. You mind coming by and saying a few words or coming to our cocktail reception the night before? Um, I'm kind of looking at it that way right now. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, so this is really what's building your network and what's been building your network. The the membership, the podcast, the books. Yeah, I think so. I think the um, the membership is going to just get bigger and that's going to be something where our members are people that want to be members. They're people with a certain mindset. And as we grow, the speakers that I'm able to get, even if I'm not already friends with them, are going to be more than willing to become come to it because they know who that audience is okay wait who's the audience oh fuck yeah i would love to come present to them what could i do could i be a panelist in front of a bunch of entrepreneurs and growth-minded professionals easy when oh it's in vegas oh fuck yeah i'm there (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it's a lot different than saying you know come talk to a bunch of w2 employees in kansas city you know yeah Yeah. so and i also wanted to ask you about the the show that you were on Okay. Um, it's funny because our girlfriends know it. I, I, I didn't watch that show, but I guess it's uh, a lot of women watch that Life show. Life Below Deck or something like that? <laughs> Life Below Deck? Come on, buddy. Below Deck. Below Deck. Come on. <laughs> below Deck. My apologies. By the way, they have this light on in here, and it's 94 degrees in Chicago right now. It's so fucking hot. <laughs> don't look at it, man. <laughs> don't, don't cut this out. Keep it in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, Below Deck was awesome, bro. Below Deck was awesome. Could someone give me a yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, thank you. No, Blow Duck was awesome, bro. It was awesome. Um, I got invited to be on. I got invited to be on Blow Duck. Actually, a friend of mine's family is part of a sports franchise, okay? And they're always asked to be on. And I'm friends with her, and she's like, dude, my dad will never do this. You should check it out. She forwards me the email. And I go, what is this, like, a secret society of, like, rich people on this email thread, like, that you're invited to be on, like, TV shows and shit? What is this shit? And I, I've, I've come across it before on, on TV. And this it's an interesting show when you're channel surfing. It's like, what? Well, that's kind of, you kind of, like, get engaged with it. Um, so I put my name in the hat. And sure enough, they called me immediately. We're on a Zoom call. Now I got to tell you, you, you got to agree to certain shit. So, so, so the audition process is not like that intense it's not like you're trying to be on the bachelor or something like that okay because because here's the thing you got to go on their dates you got to go to their locations um you you got to agree to be filmed the whole time oh and by the way uh you got to pay for the motherfucker too you still gotta pay for it (laughs) so it's like the the pool of people willing to do this is is very slim it's not it's not cheap um so uh, it kind of worked out. It, it was May, I had a, a, or it was April. I had a trip already planned for June and July with my family. Um, the dates that they had proposed lined up in Italy. I was already supposed to be somewhere else the following week. So we took a two-and-a-half-week vacation, made it a three-and-a-half-week vacation instead, put that on the front end of it. 
and uh, and had and had a blast. And I, I get a lot of street credit from that show, man. And it's not like before, dude. Back in the day, you know, okay, it's on once. There's a rerun or something. This lives in forever now, yeah, because it's streamed, dude. Like like to this day, people well, to this day, it's only been a few months. But I'll get like a random DM. Hey, just saw you on Below Deck. You know what I mean? Because someone binge watched it on Sunday. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's really helping. It's really helped build your personal brand, I guess. Listen, anybody that's on that damn show, all right, they tip at the end. And you know, you know that they make a thing on the end of each show about, their, about your tip, okay? I tipped 23 grand, all right? And I made a thing about Chicago. Hey, we're from Chicago. The GOAT, Michael Jordan, war number 23. Here's 23 grand. Make this big whole fucking speech. They cut that out of the show. Wow. <laughs> they cut that out of the show but it just has me tipping 23 grand which is a pretty baller tip for that show so so people don't know why they just think i randomly tipped 23 grand i'm like all right <laughs> I'm like i'll take it i'll take it did you rewatch it after and see what their, their oh god was well dude i was fucking dating somebody else so so it, it came out wow <laughs> it came out in may or something, yeah. It came out, I think, in May, and uh, and we filmed the, the freaking previous July. <laughs> like, so my relationship status had changed, so it was a little awkward. <laughs> Did you watch it together? <laughs> no, me and my person don't talk. We don't we block. We block each other. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I heard through the grapevine that uh, she had friends over and watched it, so I think that everyone made light of it. I think it was, I think it was it was fine, okay. but the whole time I'm just watching. I'm like. Because we had a couple arguments on the show. I'm like, don't make a fucking thing about me and her arguing. And <laughs> don't make us too, like, lovey-dovey or whatever. Because I know it's going to be out there forever. And yeah. that, they didn't. They didn't. Um, I think everybody looked well. Um, the, the, the show decided to focus mainly on my son, uh, Jacob. He, uh, he came across very good on, that, on the show. And as much as a douchebag, they tried to make me seem like... Um, <laughs> My son is a reflection of me, and I think uh, ultimately that that saved saved any douchebagginess for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I actually so. wanted to ask you about that too. Like, do you think that you know, having exited a business so young and being kind of, I guess, semi-retired and yeah. not working as much, at least not working in the daily grind, do you think that's that's going to influence your son or your kids to to work less or? I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll, we'll see, man. We'll see. I think, uh, I think me exiting the company and being an entrepreneur has put me in a position to do certain things that um, I wasn't able to do growing up. And I try to base it on experiences for my kids. You know, even before I exited, I was making a lot of money. Um, I took my daughter on a safari to Kenya when she was 10 years old. And I mean, fucking experience that we're both going to remember forever. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, I, I, my dad was a high school teacher. Um, my mom was, was a preschool teacher uh, for the Park District. And, uh, you know, we would do nice things because my dad would save up money every couple of years. And we'd do, like, we did Newport Beach for a vacation, went to Hawaii one year or whatever. But, you know, we were, you know, on a budget and stuff. But, but it, it's, it's kind of nice to see. It's kind of nice doing stuff for, stuff for my kids. So hopefully my kids kind of gravitate to wanting to do, to do that for their kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think my son's probably on that track. My, <laughs> my daughter needs to be. So every once in a while, I got to pull my daughter aside and say, Stasia, this is not your money. It's my money. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a Drake song called, called money in the grave. I go, yeah. my money is coming in the grave with me. It's not your money. All right. So we'll see. And what we'll are the, some of the lessons that you instill in them? I mean, dude, I'm just be good people, man. You know, I think, uh, Somebody asked me, I was on Sean Kelly's uh, podcast recently, and uh, I don't even know how this came up, but he asked me if I was like a bully in high school. And I think he picked it up from Instagram that people were kind of repainting me to be like a bully. And um, dude, I was always like the opposite, man. I was always the opposite. I'd always kind of help the weakest person, you know what I mean? And uh, being like a star football player and all that shit, I think, you know, people didn't always expect it from you. So that's kind of the kind of how I tried to always carry things out and I think my I think I I think my kids do a pretty good job of that my um one of my daughters really good friends with a girl in the neighborhood that has has down syndrome you know what I mean I think nice. I think there's a reason you know I, I I think I've raised them the right way yeah so and, that's the most important thing for you I guess not the the money and and all that stuff 100 percent. yeah 100 percent 
Hundred percent. Amazing. Amazing. I'll tell you something funny though about it just made me think about it with below deck. I had uh, I had Johnny Damon, the baseball player, on my on my freaking podcast. Okay, and uh, he was uh, in the early two thousands. He was the top paid baseball player in the league or center fielder in the league or whatever. It's big, big bucks playing for the Yankees and the Red Sox. And I uh, had him on because he was on below deck as well. Hey, let's just shoot the shit about below deck. And um, two things came out, came out of that conversation. All right. Cause he, cause he's famous and I'm, I'm not famous. Right. So they made bigger thing about him and kind of post-production edited his voice into certain places to kind of make him look bad a couple times. Um, but he also, and this is making me think of it because you're asking me about my son, my kids and stuff. We also talked about what it costs to be on there. And you're, you're able to bring two other couples. And Johnny said to me, yeah, you know what? It's not really that bad, though, when you split it, split it three ways. And this is a guy that, um, you know, was making X in 2002. And he's probably sitting on a pile of cash, Okay. I'm like newer money that's just coming to this more, more, more recently. Okay. Well, I'm doing shit. I didn't charge for the other couples to come on with me. I paid for everything. And then we fucking rented a private jet and did a bunch of other shit. I did, you know what I mean? And, and it just kind of like makes me think, okay, am I going to learn something 10 years from now that the Johnny Damons of the world might've made have already figured out or, or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just when you look at principles, sometimes, you know, uh, that experience I did with my kids last year was, was awesome. Um, I don't know if we're going to re- the below deck portion is fine. We'll probably do that again if they ask us, but like the whole thing, how much money was being spent on these experiences and everything else. Cause, cause at the end of the day, man, I gotta tell you, bro, it's like, <sighs> I, I, we stayed at the Le Bristol Hotel in Las Vegas. My friend Brian came with us, and it's me, me and my kids. Dude, that fucking bill is fifty grand. We stayed there for six days. Are you fucking kidding me? Fifty grand. Okay, I could almost guarantee you, my kids, and I know Brian definitely fucking didn't give a fuck that we stayed at Le Bristol. We could have stayed anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just like look back to um, me growing up with like my parents and our memories and shit. I don't know if it would have mattered if we stayed at the Ritz Carlton or the Hilton. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Something to be said for that as you're asking me these questions. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that was like the most expensive thing that you did when you like when you got your money or, no, or not really? No. Well, I thought you were asking about that vacation. Dude, I spent so much money on that fucking vacation. Like, it's like. <laughs> was that like the most. Let me tell you something. Yeah. I, okay. So from Paris to San Sebastian. I got a fucking private fucking jet, okay? We didn't need one. I got a private fucking jet, and it was 30 grand, okay? Mind you. I get onto this fucking thing. I get claustrophobic. So Brian, my kids, and my uh, now ex-girlfriend are flying on this jet, and I'm sitting, sitting at the airport. I, I get off the damn plane, send them without me, wow. and I fly fucking coach. <laughs> <laughs> I get there nine hours later. They're telling me about San Sebastian. John, you got to see this. Look, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. What's the um, dumbest shit you think you spent your money on? That was really stupid. I mean, the dumbest shit you can spend your money on is gambling. Uh, but but I feel like I've learned how to win. <laughs> I feel like I've learned how to win in gambling now, though. So so it's all coming back. But as a true as a true degenerate would say, right? <laughs> um, no, I think the dumb. I, I think private error is is dumb, especially as I've discovered if you're claustrophobic it makes yeah. very little sense <laughs> this is not fun um i dude i like nice hotels man i i, I was just saying it because you were asking me about my kids i really enjoyed staying at labor style we had the, gov- <laughs> we had the governor's suite dude that place was freaking nice man and i it was a, it was cool I'll, re- I'll remember it forever but i guess what i'm saying is my my kids did not give a shit <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I feel you. They'll remember it, though. One day they'll look back and they'll be like, wow, that was cool. I think so, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, maybe we could discuss a couple of, uh, like, funny stories. Like, I love that story you tell about Kevin Durant. Can you tell that story again? Yeah, so we're in the Bahamas. Um, It's 2008-ish, I'm assuming. And uh, I'm playing craps at the Atlantis. And uh, there's this dude playing next to me at the craps table, and I get hot on the craps table. All right, now when you're in the Bahamas, there's not, it's not like Vegas where there's a million gamblers. There's only so many people that are like craps players. So and no one plays during the day. It's nighttime. So 8 p.m. every night, go down to the craps table. So there's a finite amount of people playing, and if you're there on vacation, everyone's going down the same night. Okay, at the same time each night. 
So the first night I get this hot ass freaking roll and these two like younger African-American guys that are just giants, okay, are at the end of the table and I'm on a hot roll, all right? I keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. So for the rest of the trip, they want to find me where I'm at and play at, play at my table. All right, they're like, we're John at, we're John at. <laughs> Sounds right here. So they're coming over, okay? Now I, can't, I start noticing people are coming up to this guy and uh, taking pictures with him and shit. And you could tell he's somebody who's like 6'10", and you could tell. And uh, finally, and was next to me one night at the cups. I go, dude, hey, what's, what's your name, man? Or, or, um, he, he goes, I thought he said Kenny. He said, he said Kevin, okay? It's Kevin Durant. And um, I didn't know that. I, 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 he mumbled something. I thought he said Kenny. And then I go, well, who do you play for? And he says, <laughs> he says the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, Oklahoma City was an expansion team of the NBA that year. The Seattle Sonics moved to Oklahoma City. I did not know this. I was not a basketball fucking guy. So I'm, <laughs> I'm like telling my girlfriend that I'm with, I'm like, he plays for some fucking minor league team. I don't know who the fuck this guy <laughs> So lo and behold, I end up finding out it's Kevin fucking Durant, who's a fucking NBA superstar. And, uh, and he, he was 19 years old at the damn time. And I got to tell you, man, I told that story on uh, Timmy Bounceback's uh, podcast, and they made a clip of it on social media. And uh, shit you fucking not. Kevin Durant fucking commented. He doesn't follow me. He doesn't follow Timmy. He fucking commented. You, he said something like, you were hot, bro. I needed you or something like that. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. So it's kind of cool. He remembered the night. He remembered the night. Oh, that's fantastic. You know? That's fantastic. <laughs> I got to tell you what. Anyone that goes to the Bahamas, like, go, if you don't go, go. Like, every time I'm in the Bahamas, there's somebody... Oh, there's Kevin Durant. Oh, there's Michael Jordan. Oh, there's Post Malone. It's like every time I fucking go. No bullshit. No bullshit. You got to stay at the Atlantis or uh, or Bahamar. If you stay at other places, you will not have that. But everywhere else you do. Noted. And what about Bob? Bob Mennery? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a bunch of stuff with him. Like, how did that work? He's good, man. Bob's Bob's an interesting dude, man. He's, um, you know, he's... Uh, I think he kind of looks up to me as a um, kind of like advisor or mentor, but at the same time, he doesn't listen to shit I say. So I don't really, really know. I don't really know how that works. Um, our, the nature of our relationship, he was on my podcast. And we we kind of hit it off. So the nature of our relationship was it, this doesn't work if we're not friends. We, we became friends pretty quickly. I came out to Boston. We hung out all weekend and whatever. We definitely are the same kind of guys that, 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 that get along. And then I think Bob, you know, sauce had a kind of a vision where, Hey man, you're the successful business people. He's a business person. You've had this kind of Bob's had kind of this, a rough 12 months where he left the full send podcast and he's going through some lawsuits and, you know, he's maybe questioning a little bit his, um, I don't know, his business acumen and maybe a little bit, and he's trying to surround himself with, with people maybe he could learn from. And then for me, I'm trying to grow my social media and Bob could help me out there, obviously. So I think we kind of looked at it like a little bit of a trade back and forth there. Um, but it's kind of turned into he doesn't listen to my advice, and sometimes he tags me, and I'm like, Bob, untag me. <laughs> so so I, don't, I, don't know if, uh, I don't know if it's you know, coming out is exactly how we want it to be, but, but uh, we, we get along. We talk probably twice a day. He's a good friend of mine. Nice, nice, yeah. nice. So we'll, we'll close it up on, on, on this last point I wanted to discuss with you. I'm sure everybody knows you because of your stories. Mm -hmm. They're blowing up because you're you're calling out people. You're being aggressive. You're, yep. you're yelling. You're shouting. Like, uh, do you feel bad about what you say to people? Is it tough love? Is it like, uh, what, what's your goal with those things? You're just having fun and bro. Posting. Here's the thing. No, man, I'm not yelling at anybody. Well, <laughs> I, 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 the only the only time I yell at people is when I when I when I come at like the haters. When I'll post their comments up there and come at that. Sometimes I feel somewhat bad but i gotta tell you i don't just do it randomly i'll look at who the commenter is there was a situation where this dude said something and you could tell he never looked at any of my reels didn't know what he was fucking talking about he saw one probably and i looked at him and he was holding his kid and guy had tattoos all over him and from a couple of his posts it looked like he was you know fighting for custody of his kid with his ex and i'm like hey, you know what now but what he said he was a fucking asshole with what he fucking said though so i post that one but I blocked out his name. 
I didn't like say who he was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then whatever. You know what I mean? And then he actually ended up seeing it and DMing me, and we, yeah, I think we ended up following each other. But uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I don't. I really don't. Don't try to pick on people and be mean to them. The the ones that uh, are general speaking. Listen, man, you're either gonna you're gonna unfollow me fucking quick if, if you're offended by it, because all I'm doing is spelling out in corporate America that you know, for me to say to 109,000 people or 110,000 people, hey, when is this gonna air next week? We Whenever you want it. Well, to. if it's aired next week, it's probably 114,000 by the, the time this airs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, hey, your boss isn't your friend. All right, they're gonna fire you. Or, or excuse me, they're, they're not going to be loyal to you. They're only your friend in the context of you working for them and kissing your You're doing a good job. Well, no, 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 but we go to hockey with our kids and we go to happy hours and he showed up for my mom's um, you know, services. Not your friend, okay? They're not going to be loyal to you, dude. They're not going lo- to be your friend in a way that if the company is starting to fall and it's their ass or your ass, they're not going to give you that heads up, you know? Um, and... I say that's part of the pitfall of being a W-2 employee. Now, if people get offended by that, like they think it's a personal attack on them that I'm saying that, I don't know, man. I don't know. I got to tell you what, man. My my uncle's a cop. I I got police officers that are union employees that message me, hey, dude, we love hearing your shit because it promotes the side hustle. We want to be entrepreneurs when we retire. A lot of us are side hustling. I got teachers that say shit. Now, you got other people that, hey, dude, fuck you. You're coming down on the working man. I don't, what am I coming down on the working man for? Where? When? When have I ever come down on the working man? Ever, ever. 